I'm not used to that dramatic introduction. I love that. It's tremendous. Well, I'm Dick Foth, part of the teaching team here. Just flew in from Fort Collins, Colorado, because I knew in late July I could find some cooler weather here in D.C., and so that's why I came. But um, tonight I want to talk to you from part of Romans 8, because that's been the theme for more than conquerors as a, as a uh, passage in the last several weeks, and will continue. But I have this very interesting passage to speak from, and I'll get to it in just a moment. Romans, the 8th chapter, the 24th through the 27th verses. But I've entitled my thoughts, Tensions to Grow Us. Tensions to Grow Us. It, you know, tension's a part of life. I, you know, I, when I get up to speak, people say, you're old, you've done this a thousand times. You, you're not tense, are you? You don't get nervous. Yeah, I do. Because I don't want to just stand up here and bomb you know, I do, there's a tension in me that says, I want to get this right. You know how it is. You, you're tense when you're trying to make an impression on that young woman or on that guy. And, it, you know, it's tension. I'll tell you what tension is. Tension is going to London with my 13-year-old grandson a few weeks ago and coming out of a train station into a square where they're having a Jesus rally. Some church is doing stuff. They've got a worship band like you have here. They're doing the praise thing. They're passing out literature. And all of a sudden, we hear whistles, like referees' whistles. And some bike riders are coming around the corner. I mean, scores, like hundreds of bike riders coming around the corner. So we've got people praising Jesus here. And the bike riders are coming around the corner. The tension is this. All of those guys are absolutely stark naked. That's what you call tension. I'm covering my grandson's eyes saying, don't look, you will go blind. This is not pretty. Do not do that. So, I love the spandex crew. I just want you to know that, that this is tremendous. Life is full of tensions. What kind and how we deal with them makes all the difference in the world. Here's the definition of tension. The act of stretching or straining, the state of being stretched or strained, mental or emotional strain, intense, suppressed suspense, anxiety, or excitement. In More Than Conquerors, in Romans 8, we see that the Holy Spirit is the gift of God to his children. We see that the Spirit comes to live in us to guide us. We've learned that God has given his spirit to enable us to put to death natural inclinations that don't help us. We've learned that God has given his spirit to reassure us that we've been adopted by him. We're part of his family. And this weekend, we're going to be talking about another piece, another part that the spirit plays in our lives, some tensions are more significant than others. And, and the tension he's talking about in this passage is really significant to us. Listen to how it reads. Romans eight twenty four through 27. For in this hope we are saved. The, the hope that his spirit is alive in us. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. It's a very interesting text. It's a little dicey text. There's a lot of discussion about what does that, what does that mean? We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So Paul is describing a world of tension that's characterized by groaning, or the word means sighing. We'll come to that in just a moment. On its face, tension isn't bad. We have tension within our bodies, muscle groups that juxtapose each other, working both ways. This building is standing at some level because of tension. If you've ever seen, ever seen a Roman arch with the key block in the middle that holds it, well, the St. Louis arch is an example. It's tension that does that. You don't have the sound of this music. You don't have the percussion. You don't have a violin or a mandolin or a guitar without tension. If the strings are slack, you have no song. So on its face, tension isn't bad. But what this tension is speaking to is something where I am in this body that is mortal. What the ancients used to call this mortal coil, whatever that means. This, this house of an eternal spirit, a spirit that goes on forever. And I love what C.S. Lewis says about this because the tension is between what I feel here and what is real there. And that reality, once his spirit touches my life, puts me in tension. C.S. Lewis says it this way. I love this quote. If I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. If I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I find in myself a desire for an experience or a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Listen to how the writer of John puts it in this biblical tension. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So here's the challenge. Here's the problem. In this text, it says, I'm weak. My problem, my hurt point is weakness. You know, we, we have conversations. Somebody says something or somebody does something, and another person looks over and says, man, that's weak. <laughs> that's, just, that's just weak. And Paul comes along and says, yeah, we are. We're weak. We are frail, and we need to ask ourselves the question, just as I'm speaking here, where is it in my life that I sense weakness? Is there something in my life that's a thorn in the flesh, something in my life that I grapple with, that I can't seem to, I'd like to be more than a conqueror, but like I feel like a loser. How can I... Where is that place of weakness that I need to be focusing on? Sometimes my weakness might even be a strength or what is perceived to be a strength where confidence slides over the line into arrogance and it becomes a weakness. Weakness comes in other ways. I, um, I was playing ball catch with a grandson a couple years ago three or four years ago and in about a minute I lost hearing in this right ear 
I lost the lower range. Now, older people, when they age, they lose the upper range, so I'm looking forward to that. But the point is that, that I lost the lower range. So when I'm in a room with ambient noise, when I'm in a restaurant, I have very interesting conversations. It, you know, because it comes, they say something, but it comes out a different way. Ruth and I were driving into our driveway in Fort Collins, Colorado, a few couple, it was last year, and, a, and we got a lot of rabbits out there, and a rabbit hops across the driveway, and Ruth says, look at the bunny. And I said, what's so funny? <laughs> you know, it's just, so I have this weakness. Sometimes we have physical infirmities. Sometimes we have things that either we were born with or happened to us. But to acknowledge that we are weak in a given area isn't wrong. That's the truth. Relationship only works because the truth is told. Truth-telling is the basis for relationship. Some of you grew up singing this song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Sometimes I'll sing that like with big people like you. And at the end, we change it and say, we are weak, but he is strong. Because my frailty is an opportunity for me to trust him. It may be a tension, but for the person who is willing to humble himself or herself before God and tell the truth about what is, even though it may be temporary what is, the spirit, it says here, the spirit helps us in our weakness. So I'm hurting here, and he comes along to help. He helps me, the, the language, the word that is used here, he helps me by connecting, by grappling with, by bearing my burdens. We're strong, we, we are struggling along under something, and he says, come, let me help you with that. I see this quite often in, in airports. You see a little kid, they're running for an airplane, and the little kids have these very cool bags today, and they're rollerboards, but they can't keep up. Their legs are short, and the plane's taken off, and the parents are saying, Johnny, come on, and finally the dad or somebody reaches back. A lot of times it's moms. I see moms going through airports. They got kids all over them. <laughs> like they got a bag here, and they got the car seat here, and they got a child on this hip. And then we, but the, Finally, a dad or a mom will just grab him up, grab the suitcase in one hand, grab the child in the other and say, here, come on, let me help you with that. I believe in our weakness. The Holy Spirit comes along and says, I know you're struggling here. Come on, let me, let's just do this. There is a sense in which, even though the word is not common in scripture, the idea behind it is you see the Spirit of God helping Mary and Joseph escape from King Herod. These are the words of somebody else. These are not my words. He healed blind Bartimaeus. He, he raised Jesus from the dead. He continues to help all those in need. And so Paul comes along and says, not only are we weak, we're so weak we don't even know what to pray for. I mean, like, that's weak. And the question is, who knows what is best? I'm... I'm, I'm like a little two-year-old that's fallen down and I'm having trouble getting my breath because I'm screaming and I'm hurting and my mom is saying to me, where does it hurt? And I'm <laughs> you know, I, don't, I, I can't identify where I hurt. This says the Spirit comes along to help us when we can't identify where we hurt. And it uses this phrase in this text, groanings that can't, be uttered, deep things that aren't addressed by commonly understood language, feelings 
so profound and painful or too profound and painful to express in regular social discourse and language. There are two schools of thought, several schools of thought. One of them is that this is the place where, where a prayer language come in. It comes in language that hasn't been learned in German 403. This, this deep uttering from the spirit, from one's spirit to God's spirit, sort of bypassing the intellect. And that may very well be true, but that there's this oxymoron that these are groanings that can't be uttered. That, and that sort of juxtaposes some things that say, what, is, what does that mean? Whatever it is, Whatever this is, I need help, and the Spirit is going to help me. That's what this promise is. Sometimes I try to help. I love that story about it. You know, somebody walks into a kitchen, and here's a kid with an icing bowl, chocolate icing, upside down on his head. And the adult says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm helping. <laughs> well, the Spirit comes along. This isn't about chocolate icing on your head. This is about Jesus stepping in by his spirit. Philippians says that his spirit is at work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And when I don't know what to pray for, he does. And I don't know how that works. I'd like to stand up and say, I got this sucker figured out. I, you know, we've, I've got it here. I don't got it here, but I know it's true. I have experienced those moments when I drive away from an ICU unit where a three-year-old has a brain cancer, and I say, God, I don't know what that's about. All I know is that I ache for her, and I ache for her parents, and I, and I need your help to pray. So you're going to have to help me know what to ask for or how to approach it, because I don't get what's going on there, the great imponderables of life. We have, a, there are seminal stories in almost every congregation where people can look back and say that was a pivot point. Pastor Mark has written about numbers of these here in National Community and prayer walks and other kinds of things. At Timberline Church in Fort Collins, one of them is called the Nikki story, and I told you about this before, where, where a hairdresser, a hairstylist, an older guy, engaged one of his uh, clients, a young woman from university, and they were just talking, and she said, could I have lunch with you? And I won't elongate this story. Could I have lunch with you? He said, oh, I don't think you want to do that. She said, well, you're so different than other guys. You don't hit on me and all that kind of stuff. And he, he said, I don't. I, you really don't want it. She said, I really would like to, because you talk about Jesus. And so they had lunch. And then she said, I'd like to go to that church. That you. He said, oh, I don't think you want to do that. I don't, no, I don't think so. And she said, yes, I would. And finally she said, I'm going to go if you don't take me. Anyway, I'm going to go. So she came, and on a Sunday morning, when there was an invitation to follow Jesus, she came down. They gave her a New Testament. She went home, and four days later, she calls the pastor and says, I got this book when I was at your place. I heard you give a talk, and I got this book, and I, I, you know, I've read it all the way through in these four days, and some parts I've read two or three times, and I was just wondering, do you, do you read this book? And he said, yeah, yeah, I I read that book. And uh, she said, well, this one Corinthians part. Have you ever read this one Corinthians part? Because the Spirit's at work in us. And when the Spirit's at work in us, he helps us do things and understand things we wouldn't otherwise understand. And I won't go into the whole story, except what I didn't tell you about Nikki is that she was gorgeous. She was a leader. And she was an exotic dancer. 
That's how she was making money for law school. Her thesis was, if men are stupid enough to come and watch half-naked women dance, I'm smart enough to take their money. That was her understanding. And so she said, have you read this 1 Corinthians part? And he said, what part is that? And she said, where it says that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and he lives in me. And she said, do you believe that, that the Holy Spirit lives in you? <laughs> he said, yeah, I do. She said, well, if that's true, then I probably shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. She said, but I'm, but I'm, I'm earning money to go to law school, and I need the money. And I'm cons- but I read this Matthew part. Have you read the Matthew part about where it says that he takes care of the lilies of the field, and he'll take care of you? Have you read that part? And he said, yeah, I have. She said, if that's true, then I probably don't need to sweat it. And uh, I'm in. And she started following Jesus. And that pivotal event changed the character of the entire church and community. Because the Holy Spirit does things that I can't do. And the net result is what this text starts with. The net result is hope. That I have this hope in me. Christ in me by his spirit. The hope of glory. Trust and hope are these delightful twins. Trust sort of looks back, and hope looks forward. It's an expression of the love of God in my life, and uh, it has to do with movement and anticipation and a positive something. Now, hope, we, you know, we hear hope talked about a lot, but what hope isn't, hope isn't luck or chance or a roll of the dice. Hope isn't even wishful thinking like Jiminy Cricket. How many of you are aware of Jiminy Cricket. You know that name. I, maybe it's just the older folks that, I, you know, and he sings, when you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. And it goes on, has other words. <laughs> but it ends with, your dream comes true. It isn't that. That's not hope. Hope is not even optimism. It's not even, well, I'm a half, I'm a glass half full guy. I love Bill Cosby's line. You've heard me say this before, that when he was in Temple University, in Philadelphia, they, they studied for three days. They debated, is the glass half empty or half full when he, in philosophy class? And finally went home to South Philly and asked his granny, Granny, is the, is the glass half empty or half full? And she said, well, Billy, that depends on whether you're drinking or pouring. <laughs> this isn't that. That's not hope. Hope is what gives me future. Hope is what tilts me that direction. Going forward, hope is what these writers had when they left Cincinnati, hoping that they would make it here safely, planning on it, making every um, alignment so that they can make that happen, hoping that the dollars they raise will unlock the doors of women and children around the world so that they could have hope. I was on a plane flying out of Johannesburg some years ago when apartheid was in place. And I was sitting next to a colored man, colored being a mixed breed man. He happened to be Indian or Pakistani, but that's what they were designated in that day. And I said, what do you, what do, you do? He said, I'm an electrical engineer. I own an electrical company. I said, really, here? He said, no, in Dallas, Texas. I said, but you're, a, you're from South Africa. He said, yes. I said, well, how come it's not here? He said, because I couldn't get office space in the town because because I don't fit with the, with the guidelines that are had here. And I said, what's, what's, the, what's the greatest challenge in that? He said, the greatest challenge in that is that apartheid took away my hope. 
I needed to go somewhere where I could have hope, that I could have a future. So what is hope? Hope is the confident expectation that's based, that's grounded in history. 1 Samuel 7 reads like this, Then Samuel took a stone, set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer. Sound familiar? Saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us, so the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. The big war fights going on between the Israelites and the Philistines. This was called the stone of help, looking back to what God has done from where he had brought them. I remember when Ebenezer was, was built, and you did it here too, where when the basement was there without sheetrock on it, you folks went down and wrote verses on the walls. And so when you walk into Ebenezer's, whether you know it or not, you're surrounded by scripture because our hope is in the Lord, not in our good machinations or our business planning or, the, boy, don't we have a cool corner lot here across from Securities and Exchange Commission. All those things are good, but that's not where our hope is. When we look back and say, I have seen the Lord at work, that's powerful. It's more than powerful. That's life-giving. Some years ago, when Joel Schmidgall, Pastor Joel, was an aide to me for one year, we'd ride in his car. It was a big old Lincoln Continental that he had gotten from a friend of his dad's, and it had like 350,000 miles on it, and we just floated down the road. You know, we <laughs> took up like two lanes at a time. We'd just go, and, and Joel was with me, and... A friend of mine, a chief of staff for a congressman, found out that he had cancer, a virulent form of cancer. And it ended up that he was going home. And he committed his life to Jesus during that time. But I remember going with the congressman and saying, I don't think my friend Charlie has much time. And we walked into his house out in um, Vienna. We walked into his house and he was there. He was in hospice. He was skeletal, but his spirit just vibrated. I mean, he was alive. And when I walked in, he said, what does that phrase mean in scripture, Dick? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What does that mean? And I said, Charlie, I don't, I don't know yet. I haven't done that part. I don't, I don't know what that means. But I, I suppose it means to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I have every confidence based on the things that I've trusted him for before that have all worked. That whatever that is, that that's going to work too. Hope is based not by some fanciful thing out there, not in some fanciful thing out there, but in a, in a history, in, a, in places of standing. Hope is necessary to life. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian psychiatrist that ended up in Auschwitz and survived. But this is what he said. The inner hold a prisoner has on his spiritual self relies on having a faith in the future. That once a prisoner loses that faith, he's doomed. When you lose hope, you die. You may not fall over dead, but you die. Incrementally, inch by inch, centimeter by centimeter, centimeter by centimeter, but, you know, spot by spot, we die. Isaiah says it more profoundly than I could. He says, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. That's where we are. 
Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar. That's some of the verbs. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. When I think of hope, I think of my friends Rich and Becky Dixon and Monty right down here. Rich and Becky and I are part of the same congregation. Last year sometime, Rich came and said, I have this thought that I'd like to do something that would bring hope to people. And so last fall, Rich and Becky and Monty, with Rich in the lead hand cycling and, and Becky doing all that other stuff, getting hotels and Monty saying, what's going on here? They, uh, he hand cycled the Mississippi River from Lake Itasca, Minnesota to New Orleans, 1,500 miles, 40, 50 miles a day. And along the way, they brought hope to people. My favorite snapshot, and I'll take just a moment, and I don't mean to embarrass them, but this wasn't about them. This was about sharing the hope that the Lord brings by his spirit in us. 24 years ago, 25, six years ago now, at a Christmas time, Rich was up on a roof putting on Christmas lights, fell off. He's a math teacher. I can't tell you how many older people I've run into now who say, Rich Dixon taught me math when I was in middle school or junior high. Fell off the roof and was paralyzed from the chest down. Went through a difficult decade, struggling with depression and other kinds of things. You can ask him about it. He's got a great book about that. But found hand cycling and in that process found a mechanism by which hope along with other ways by which hope could be expressed. I think my favorite snapshot, Rich, is when you had spoken at a church, I think it was in Mississippi, and somebody came along and said, we deal with homeless people, we're having a meeting tomorrow morning, and could you come and talk to him? About 75 folks came in, and uh, he talked to him and said, you know, life offers us things, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. Life offer, offers us things or does things to us that we could never anticipate. But if, and I'm quoting Rich, I think close, but if an old bald guy who can't walk is stuck in a chair can do this, anybody can do this. And when he was done, a big old guy, I think you said he was in a green sweatshirt came up and put his arms around you, weeping, whispered in his ear, I can do this. And he stood up, turned around, and walked out, and in a loud voice as he walked out said, I can do this. The Spirit of God inspires hope, but more than that, he is hope. He brings hope. And when I don't even know how to pray, he puts words to feelings or phrases to situations on my behalf Because all it takes is a word to encourage or inspire. I close with this. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking at Timberline Church. It's where we live live in Colorado. And speaking on the text, because we're going through the book of Mark. Speaking on the text of Jesus walking on the water, which is just, you know, for you who are physics majors, it's interesting. You know, because they've done tests to see if people could do that. And you'd have to have uh, feet the size of umbrellas and make 15-foot plants per second to stay up. But he does different stuff. And so he was walking on the water, and it scared the disciples. They thought he was, a, it's, you know, it's like 3 in the morning. And, and they're scared, and they holler. They're terrified. And this is what he says to them. These are words of hope. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. 
Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And that it is I phrase is in the Greek, ego eimi, which means I am. It's the phrase that is used in the gospel that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the living water. I am living bread. I am. So it's take courage, I am, don't be afraid. I have a Jewish friend, Messianic Jew, who's now gone on to be with the Lord. Grew up in Brooklyn, and he said, I grew up all my life with my mother, said, grow up, get a good job, marry a nice Jewish girl. Grow up, get a good job, marry a nice Jewish girl. He said, I heard that so much, I thought it was one word. And I believe that in the storm, Jesus shouted to them one word. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Why don't you say it with me? Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. One more time. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. The Spirit shouts within me over my fears, through my weaknesses, and gives me some place to land. Hope is the forward expression of trust. Ebenezer, so far he has proved faithful. I, uh, I ask you the question. When you are confronted with your weakness, do you lean upon the Lord in your moment of desperation? How do we pray? When we are weak, the spirit helps. The tension we feel is temporary, but hope is eternal. Tension that grows us is not bad. It's a reminder that's there, that there is more and the best is yet to come. Would you bow your heads with me? Just in this quiet moment, I want to ask you one question. You're here tonight in this moment and you're desperate. You say, you don't have to talk to me about weakness. I know what weakness feels like. And I need the Spirit's help right now in this way. I don't even know how to think. I need his help to do that. And you'd like me to include you in my closing prayer. And you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. Yes. Yep. 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 You can put it down. Yes, I see you. There may even be someone here tonight, often, often, maybe always there are, who say, I don't know anything about this Jesus person you're talking about. But, but, but what I hear, I want to know more. I'd like to know more. I'd like to start that journey. You just slip your hand up and say, pray for me too. Throw me in the mix. I just, I want to know more. Yes, I see your hand. Father, here we are. Your spirit works in us. To pray through our weakness with groanings that can't be uttered. We can't articulate it, but somehow he does. And you hear that. You say the whole creation groans, that we groan, that our spirit groans. But out of that weakness, I pray for my dear friends here. Many of whom I've not even met, but you have met them. They're saying, as they say tonight, I'm desperate, I'm weak. I need the Spirit to advocate for me. I need him in this moment to wrap his arms around me and hold me up as my feet fail me and my legs are weak. I pray that you will do that even as we pray, that these friends will walk from this place knowing that the Spirit speaks on their behalf to a Father whose whose ear is inclined to us 
And in the moments when they weep in the night, in the times where I feel, I feel so both inhibited or undone, that, that your spirit will be present with us in a way that gives us peace that passes all logic. We believe you for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for providing a way for us to have this conversation with the Most High God. We give you honor and praise this evening. In that name we pray. Amen.